0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 9th of January 2011, entitled, Watch, and the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 37. His Pastor Larry T. Curtis. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 13 this evening. I'm going to just read this chapter, and then we're just going to focus upon a couple of verses found there. Beginning in the Gospel of Mark chapter 13, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 1. And as we went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. When ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves. For they shall deliver you up to councils. In the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. The gospel must first be published among all nations. When they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. When ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. and Let them that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. Let him that is in the field not turn back again for the take of his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter when those days Shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or Lo, he is here, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed. Behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with the great power and glory. Then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the othermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors." Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of the day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. The Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What I say unto you. I say unto all, watch. Father, we thank you again this evening for our time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that lives and dwells within us. Now, Father, over these next moments that we have together, we pray, Lord, that you would take and use thy servant for your glory. We pray, Lord, that you would bring forth the words that you would have be spoken, Lord, under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit, not of man, Lord, we know that You know the needs of each and every heart better than we know our own. We pray, Lord, that you would meet those needs as only you can, that we would be responsive to that which you have for us. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. There are certain words in a vocabulary that even just one word will automatically bring about a reaction. What would happen, do you think, if you were seated in some large auditorium somewhere for whatever purpose that it might be, and suddenly you heard one word screamed out, and that one word happened to be, fire! <laughs> what do you think everybody's going to do? And they're going to head for the exit doors, aren't they? What if you were flying over the middle of the Atlantic on an airplane what's well, probably the worst word that you would hate to hear somebody shout on that airplane. Well, fire would be pretty bad, but probably bomb. <laughs> I wouldn't advise running for the exit doors. It's <laughs> Not going to do a lot of good, but it would certainly bring about a great reaction on that aircraft. They used to kind of butcher the English language even more than just the Americans do in general, when I was in the military. Because there's some words that when you say them, they need to get a result immediately. But there's some of those words that if you say them as they're really supposed to be said, you can't say them as nasty and as loud to get the attention as if you change them a little bit. Unless you've maybe watched a few movies. If I, if I said to you, Tin Hut, what would you think? tin hut meant. Some hut somewhere that's built out of tin probably, right? (laughs) But in actual fact, that's the word attention. Because in the military, when they want to get your attention, you can shout attention. But it's an awful lot of trouble and it takes so many syllables to say it. So in the military, they don't shout attention when they want your attention. They say tin hut because you can really get some force behind that hut when you put it out that way. You know that it's attention, but it's their way because when they say that word, they expect an immediate response. I don't care what you're doing or where you are. When you hear that word, you better stand at attention. There are other words in our vocabulary that we could think of, but there's a word here this evening. As a matter of fact, it's printed on our wall beside the back door because I think it was about three years ago. How many of you remember what I preached last Sunday? Hmm. <laughs> Who remembers what I preached three years ago? (laughs) That's what I figured. But as we look at this passage, it's a word that stands out. And even if I could, I couldn't preach the same message over again, I'm sure, because I'm not smart enough to remember exactly what words I said and what order I said them in or any of that. But I believe that as we enter a new year on the calendar, that it's a time that... Our thinking is naturally. And of course, we heard Brother Steve bring a wonderful message this morning entitled, was it five minutes after midnight? You know, again, the simple truth is, is that many times as we begin a new year, we think about things that relate to time. We've just read here and remember now the passage that we read began with the disciples asking a question privately. They wanted to know of the Lord Jesus when these things were going to take place. All that we're reading here is pertaining to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his answer to his disciples. We find that, uh, how many of you have ever seen any magic tricks? Who knows what a magic trick is? Did you know your pastor can do magic tricks? You know, I can do magic tricks. You see that? Watch. Watch carefully. You might miss it. Watch. Did you see what happened? It was magic. You didn't even see it, you didn't see what happened. Well, that was magic then because it happened and you didn't see it. In actual fact, it just took that one word and what was everybody's attention on that, that 50p piece that I'm holding in my fingers. Why? Because I said to watch and you were what? You were expecting something to happen. You know, the same thing happens. You could be walking along, you know, and, have you ever been walking? You ought, you ought to try walking down the street sometime. Just stop and start looking up. You know what will happen? Other people start looking up. <laughs> try to see what it is that you're watching, that you're looking at. You don't have to say a word. Just stop and look at the sky. Admire God's beauty. See what other people do, how they react to it. This word is repeated several times here in our passage. And it says, Watch. Just go back and look at uh, beginning in verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Now, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Why wouldn't Jesus know when he was coming back? Why would Jesus not know when he was coming back? Do you believe that Jesus knows when he's coming back now? I do. And you know, there is never, mark this now, never, any contradiction anywhere in God's Word. Keep in mind, though Jesus was always 100% God, He became 100% man for us. Here when He's talking to His disciples, oh, He's got all the essence of God, but He's the one that came to live as a man. It wasn't because He had to, but because he chose to for us. Because so I believe that now in heaven, that yes, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I believe that God knows when he's coming back. But as Jesus is speaking to them here, even the Son didn't know because he was in his manhood at that time. He said that nobody knows. Take ye heed. That being the case, I mean, you've asked the question of when these things are going to happen. We've seen some pretty descriptive things here, and we've, we've spent time upon these things before, and we've, we've talked about many of these things that are going to take place during the, the great tribulation period, which is part of what this is describing, and, and the horror of it, and, and also when Christ comes back to set up his kingdom upon this earth, we find that, in this case here, they're wanting to know when to expect it. He says, well, nobody knows except the Father. That being the case, take ye heed, watch, and pray. for you know not when the time is. Watch and pray, because you don't know when he's going to come. Now, if there is one thing that every child of God ought to be watching for, it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure we watch for a lot of things in life, but I'm saying whatever else that you're expecting in your life, whatever else that you're expecting to happen tomorrow and and next week in your future, there's one thing that should always be in your expectancy as a child of God, and that's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51 says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're not all going to go by the way of the grave, though most do, but the Lord's coming back. And it could be before you go to the grave. It could be before we leave this service this evening. Now, he says everybody's not going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that being the case, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Turn just a few pages over in your Bible to First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. Notice, just picking up in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, some of us will be, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these things. Now you can go back to your time charts and you can go back to things and Christians disagree over the timing, but one thing is certain here that I see. If we take the word of God for what it says, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when there's going to be a shout, there's going to be a trump that's going to sound. The Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Brother Steve hit it this morning. You've heard me say it many times. They've got to have a head start because they're six feet further away than we are. The dead in Christ shall rise first, but then we, we which remain, we which are here, we which are still alive. The Bible says we're all going to be changed. The Bible says that we're going to meet them. Notice what he says there. He says it's the Lord himself that's going to descend from heaven. It's the Lord that's going to give us a shout. And then with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain, what does it say, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Again, Steve touched on this this morning. We've looked at it. Matter of fact, in part of our series this past year on the fundamentals on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all in there. The simple truth is this is meeting him in the air. This is not on the earth yet. This is the first stage of the second coming. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. That's the first thing. And then we're going to meet them in the air, where we will never be separated from Him. He says, where we will ever be with the Lord. Now, I believe with all my heart that when that takes place, that praise God, during all these horrible seven years of tribulation, that's like nothing this world has ever been seen here on earth, that they're in glory. (laughs) We're going to be celebrating at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God's going to give His rewards for those things that have been done. In service for him in this life. We find in other places where that he'll be returning to the earth. But as we look here, I'm saying that, folks, in this coming year, you've got expectations, I've got expectations. There's things you hope for, there's things that you hope do happen and things that you hope don't happen. I'm saying the greatest expectation that we should have It's for that trumpet to sound, for that shout to make, for us to meet him in the air and be out of here and be changed and never ever have these old, defiled, corrupted bodies again. That should excite us. That should have our attention. We will watch for something to happen to a coin because we expect something to happen. Too many Christians talk about watching the Lord, watching for His return. See, the problem is they don't really expect it to happen, so they're not really watching. You're not going to watch it unless you're expecting it. These kids were all sitting here with expectation of what was going to happen magically to that coin. If we truly, genuinely expect the Lord, then we'll be watching for it. I've, I've used the illustration before. I can remember especially as a child. I can remember when somebody special was coming over. It might have been grandparents or aunts and uncles or somebody. And I can remember especially, you know, silly little things stand out in your mind from those very young years in your childhood. When I was a very young child, my family and I, we we lived in Miami, Florida, and most all the rest of my family was still back in North Carolina. But there were those special times when we would come home for the holidays and things like that. There were those times when some of them would come to visit us and there was such great expectation because it might have been months since we've seen them. I just asked Sister Angelica before the service. She was getting excited about going home. I know she loves Brother Steve and she loves her time, but it's an exciting thing to get to go home and, and to see mom and to see family. She hasn't seen them since last year. I know that feeling many times because I don't get to see a lot of my family that often. And when those plans are made and you finally expect that you're going to see them on such and such a time, you know that it's going to happen. I can remember as a little child when it was time maybe for grandparents to be arriving or something like that and you're expecting them, you know, they're supposed to be here at three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, you know what the kids would be doing peeking through the curtains and looking and watching because there's, there's such expectation. It's time for them to come. It's time for them to be here. We expect them to be here, and we're looking for them. How many of us really watch in that kind of a fashion? You see, that's what he tells us at least three times in this passage, that simple one word, watch. Watch for him. You need to know, nobody knows the exact hour but I'm telling you these things, look around you. There are so many things happening that you don't know the exact time that he's coming. But he told his disciples, you ought to be able to look at the signs and know, and know that you're getting close. Do we believe the signs? Do we really believe in the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ? are we expecting him to come back or is it just some theological fact that we've got somewhere back in our minds somewhere back there that yes we believe it but it's not really part of our everyday life we're not really expecting him in the same way that we expect other things we plan for things we set things out in our diaries we lay out all of our plans we expect them to happen Folks, I believe, your pastor and everybody here, if that expectation was truly at the forefront of our hearts and our minds like it ought to be, it would cause us to live some different lives. You see, isn't it interesting that after describing these things to us, well, notice that here in 1 Thessalonians, when he talks about this taking place, the last thing he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words when things are tough, when things are hard, when you need comforting, the expectation that Jesus is soon coming back, that ought to bring comfort to us. What did we see back in Corinthians? Just after talking about this same event when the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, therefore, if that's the case, you need to be unmovable. You need to be working for the Lord because your work is not in vain. If you're really expecting Him, and you want to get everything done and ready for Him that you possibly can before He gets here. I totally lost my place as far as my notes here. I want to give you three simple thoughts tonight. They're not profound. They're just simple as we... As we go into this new year with all the things we expect as individuals and as a church, let's do this one thing for certain. Let's genuinely watch for our Lord. That's what he's commanded us to do, to watch, to expect him at any time. We find that there in verse 34, Jesus gives us an illustration He gives us an illustration, and here he uses the porter, the doorkeeper, if you would, the one that was responsible for keeping the door at the temple. We find that the church today, we could fit into this story. The church could be that household there. Our master, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one, and he has left the responsibility for his church, that he died and gave himself for, he's left that responsibility with us. He's gone on the journey that he describes here. He's gone back to heaven, but he gave instructions just as this master did here before he left. Notice he said, therefore, the son of man is as a man. We don't have to wonder if that's what he's meaning, this illustration. He's just talking to them about the second coming. And he tells us exactly when he gives the illustration the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to every man, every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. You see, the first thing I want you to remember. I've started these three things with peas. I probably picked them up somewhere else along the line, who knows. Watch persistently. Watch persistently. We need to be persistent. We find that that's exactly what he's telling them here is that they ought to be doing it all the time. It's not something that ought to be done in a haphazard way. We find that he left us instructions. And one of the greatest instructions that we have, folks. Jesus Christ came to this earth for a purpose. What was that purpose? To seek and to save that which was lost. He came. God didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to be humiliated before mankind and hung upon that tree. He didn't have to. He did it out of his love so that you could be saved and I could be saved, and the ones we love and care around us could be saved. Matter of fact, he says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We see another passage I've got somewhere down here that we we looked at last week, that he tasted death for every man. Jesus came for that purpose. But folks, we read in the Word of God, it doesn't matter that Jesus did all that, that he accomplished all that, if people don't know about it. He left us what we call the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every living being. Everyone out there needs to hear that gospel message. We need to be watching persistently. We find that he gave us those instructions in every one of the gospels We find it recorded in the book of Acts as he is departing this world there. We find that as we look into the epistles, that we find that there, that God has an intention for each and every one of us. And that's a life that's patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. A life that's patterned after him. We sometimes, because of our Great love for grace. We want to kind of push the works thing aside. The Bible has much to say about good works. Our life does need to be presenting good works. That's not going to save us. But as Christians, it ought to be a natural part of our Christian lives. We find that we've been talking much lately about spiritual gifts. In our series right now, On the fundamentals, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We find that those gifts are given to us for a purpose. Those gifts are given to us to be used. If you look back into your, (coughs) pardon me, into your Bibles, into 1 Peter, notice that in 1 Peter chapter 4, but the Word of God tells us this in verse 10 and 11. He says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I mean, stop and think for a moment in your life. The natural tendency, the human side of all of us, lacks a little bit of credit. Lacks a little pat on the back. And even if we try to be humble by saying that we're not prideful, by saying we really don't care, most of the time there's that something that bothers us inside. If We've done something good, and it seems completely unappreciated. Why did I bother? The natural thing. uh, Let me ask you this, though. How many times in your life, maybe could have been at school, could have been at work, could have been at home. How many of you have ever done something that needed to be done that was very important to do, but you did it in such a way that somebody else got all the credit for it? (coughs) They didn't even know you did it. Somebody comes in and, man, this is done? How many times have we ever done something naturally that we really didn't want the credit for. We didn't want people to know. We just wanted somebody else to get the credit. You see, what the Bible's saying in all of our spiritual lives, that's the way it should be, Brother Steve. Everything we do should be done so that Jesus Christ can get the credit for it, so that you can't point your finger at man. We can look at so many things, so many times, whether it's Christians, whether it's preachers, whether it's churches, people like that credit. People like to, for others to know what a grand thing they've done. Saying, you know, if we truly, if we truly, I honestly believe that if we could get this word to really ring in our hearts, like so many words, bring those reactions, it ought to bring some reactions in our lives We need to be watching persistently all the time because we don't know when He's coming. We need to be carrying out the commission that He's left for us. Our lives need to be patterned after that of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that we're doing should be done in the power of the Spirit to where He's the one that gets all the glory and all the credit for it. We don't know. And he says here, you know, Brother Steve was using this morning about the midnight hour and how that's related here. Well, we find that word midnight here, but it's in amongst some others. Notice he says, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Have you ever really looked close at those? He said, In the evening, at the midnight, anybody been up with the cocks crowing lately? (laughs) That's pretty early. (laughs) Even before the morning comes. What's missing there? It's all from the evening time to the morning. None of it's in the night. And you see, those that he was writing to, they would have known. Those 12 hours that are being covered there from 6 o'clock in the evening till 6 o'clock the next morning, there was four watches. And he's using the illustration here of the importance of the porter keeping watch. And he's saying here it doesn't matter what watch it is. See, the even watch would have been that one that went from 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock. The midnight watch was the one that went from 9 to midnight The third watch went from midnight until three in the morning when the cocks began to crow. And then the morning watch was the one that went from three in the morning until six a.m. That was standard. That was just, they knew that. He's saying, you know, you need to be watching all the time. Doesn't matter which watch that you're assigned to. You need to be watching. Don't be caught sleeping. We find that. So many today, verse 36 says, lest coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And Brother see, if I don't see where he's saying here that I should just be worried about watching on my watch, maybe it's my responsibility to have that six o'clock to nine o'clock watch. When it comes to watching for the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, it doesn't matter what watch. You don't want to be caught sleeping. We know he's not talking about physical sleep. He's not saying stay awake the rest of your life and don't ever sleep again. He's saying spiritually, stay awake the rest of your life. Spiritually, you don't need to be sleeping. Don't be sleeping when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, when the master returns. Don't let him find you sleeping on watch. And of course, we could say many things about that, but I want to move on. And I want to say secondly that not only does he want you to watch persistently, but he wants you to watch perceptively. That's one thing to be watching all the time. But it's another thing to be perceptive. Look what uh, Paul wrote to to Titus. In Titus chapter 2. Notice what he says beginning in verse 11. <coughs> He says, "...for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world." What's the next word? "...looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ." who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Titus was a young preacher. The apostle Paul, his mentor, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said Titus, the grace of God that will bring salvation, it's it's appeared to all. And it teaches us some things. You see, that's one of the first things that we need to recognize is that the grace of God doesn't just save us. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that what? That's there to save. What's the next word? Teaching us that, that same grace. That same grace that saved us It's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I've got to skip a lot of stuff here if I'm going to get through. Saving grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. What does it mean to be ungodly? What is something that is ungodly? Well, anything that God wouldn't do himself is ungodly. Anything that's not fitting or true of God is ungodly. Matter of fact, the things you do in your life without God is ungodly. You can't do it godly if you're leaving him out. If What I'm doing isn't dependent upon him and isn't for his glory. Then it's ungodly. He's saying, man, that same grace of God that that saved us. I mean, you know, he's teaching us here. He uses the word looking here instead of watching. This is all part of it. Saving grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. How do we do that? Well, the easiest, simplest answer that I can give to you is, folks, you can't do it. You'll never do it. You will Never yourself live an ungodly life. Because if you're doing it, it's not God anyway. One of the greatest passages, simple, straightforward, John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, Jesus said, "'Abide in me, and I in you. "'As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, "'except it abide in the vine, "'no more can ye except ye abide in me. "'I am the vine, ye are the branches. "'He that abideth in me and I in him, "'the same bringeth forth much fruit.'" For without me, ye can do nothing without oversimplifying it. If watching should bring about an ungodly lifestyle in your life, if you're truly expecting Jesus, anytime, any moment, the only way that you can do that is to stay close to him. To Stay close to him. You can't do it yourself. You need Him. He said you can't do anything without Him. It's when we start doing it without Him that it becomes ungodly. If it's done with Him and His power and His strength, you'll be godly. Saving grace. Not only does it teach us to avoid that ungodliness, but it teaches us, he says, to deny worldly lust. Wow. Anybody ever struggled with that one? <laughs> Worldly lust. It's not just talking about those sexual things there either. That's bad enough. Worldly lust. Lust can be for just about anything that you can imagine. You find that we begin to say, "How in the world can I deny those things?" Well, Galatians 5:16 says, "This I say then." Walk in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, if we're really watching for Him, we need to be watching persistently, but we need to be watching perceptively. See, that's paying attention. You can watch something without really paying attention. Have you ever maybe been watching a movie and suddenly you just realize you've been sitting there watching it for the last five minutes, but your concentration has been off somewhere else because you were watching it persistently, but you weren't very perceptive about what was going on. That can get us in trouble in our automobiles. (laughs) Driving around the road, our, our eyes are on the road and we're persistently looking out through there. Where our perception can get off track sometimes, and we can be thinking about something else or doing something else. It can happen both ways. I, I, I've been driving along sometimes, and suddenly, suddenly realized where I was at. What in the world? How did I get here? I'm driving on autopilot because my mind has been somewhere else. Now I've been watching the road in front of me, but I sure haven't been perceptive as to where I'm going or what I'm doing. And of course, many times accidents come about from those same things because we're there, we're looking. We're not perceptive to what's going on around us. You see, if we're watching perceptively, we need to be watching our life. He says this thing ought to change us. It It ought to make something different in our lives. We ought to find that it'll help us to deny the ungodliness and to not deny the worldly flesh, to live soberly, which is to be serious. Now, God knows some Christians could sure use more a greater sense of humor. <laughs> He's not saying here that you that you can't have a laugh, that you can't smile. Matter of fact, you should bring great joy and peace and happiness regardless of what's going on around us. <clears throat> but just because you're happy don't mean you have to be foolish. Our lives should be serious. We should take our commitment to the Lord seriously. Practicing the things of God on a continual basis, not just when we're around those other Christians and when we're at church. He says, teaching us to live righteously. We've talked about righteousness. Got to be right with God. Teaching us to live, to do, to be doing those things that are going to be right in the eyes of God, not ours. Doesn't matter if we don't understand it. Doesn't matter if we agree with it. God has said this, but we try to rationalize it away. We try to say, well, oh, that doesn't matter in our society. It doesn't matter with our customs. It doesn't matter in our day because that was 2,000 years ago. If it's right with God, then it's righteous. You can rationalize all you want, but if it goes contrary to God, it's not right with him, and therefore it's unrighteous. He says, teaching us to live godly. We've talked about this a number of times. Just people ought to see God living through our lives. It ought to be Christ. If if our lives are going to make a difference of folks, that's not going to make an easy life. Matter of fact, mm, well, that same Bible says somewhere else that if you live godly, you will suffer persecution. That's what he wrote to young Timothy, wasn't it? Another young preacher. You live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. Yet he says, you know, if you're really watching, if you're really expecting the Lord, it's going to affect the way you live. You need to be watching. Because the master's left you with some things and some responsibilities. He's left you accountable for some things. And he could come at any time. Don't let him catch you asleep. It ought to affect your life. It ought to make you live differently. Why does the grace of God teach us the way it does? Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Sound familiar? Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking, watching for that blessed hope is specifically tied to the way we live. It will affect the way we live. We will not live ungodly lives if we truly expect Jesus to be turning up in the next moment. We'll be careful where we go. We'll be careful how we dress. We'll be careful how we act. We'll be careful how we speak. He's saying that it's God that ought to be being seen in our lives. If we really expect him, if we're really watching for him, looking for that blessed hope with the expectation that he's coming and that he's coming soon, that's the greatest blessing blessed hope that we have in this life, we need to live like he's coming back at any moment. I want to give you this in closing. I'm just saying, folks, we can, you know, how many of you can remember sitting here in January of 2010? Most of you, I'm sure. How many of you can, be, can remember thinking, well, what is the year 2010 going to bring? What's my life going to accomplish? Now that we've sat here in January of 2011, how much has happened with your life this past year? I'm not saying that to be critical. I look back with sorrow on my own life this past year. I look back, can, can, can I stand here and say that, I can honestly say that God's been in control the whole time Everything that I've done has been the power of the Spirit, not my own. I've lived godly. I've lived righteously. I wish I could. I believe more would have been accomplished in my life this past year if I could. I'm saying, folks, it won't happen by itself. This is a very simple thing. It ought to get our attention. If it was a fire, if it was a bomb, if it was some Drill instructor screaming in your face at the highest volume he could get out. It ought to get our attention in the same way that those things would. Watch, watch. Expect him any time. You don't know when he's coming. That's the message he's trying to get off. It doesn't matter what you watch you're on. Don't be caught sleeping. And if we're truly watching, in all these patches, we see that it's going to change our lives. But we need to be watching persistently all the time. We need to be watching perceptively, paying attention to our lives and the lives and all that's going on around us. And thirdly, we need to be watching prayerfully. He spells it out right here. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father, Take ye heed, he says in verse 33. Watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Watching and praying should go together. Jesus commanded it. Colossians 4.2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving." 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. As we look through Scripture, watching and praying. Should go hand in hand. If we're expecting him, if our attention is on him. Folks, your attention is not going to be on somebody and you not even want to communicate with. And you're going to know that if, if, if you're serious about this, if you're perceptive about it, boy, you need Him all the time. Prayer is what helps us get the victory over those temptations. Prayer is what will keep us spiritually on our toes. Prayer is what will accomplish God's purposes instead of ours. John 14, 13 and 14, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Looks God didn't want you to perish and he doesn't want anyone else to perish. Timothy chapter two, a familiar passage for us. Verse 1 begins, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men. That they be made for all men. Why? He says, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We think the government's in a mess. We think the politicians are making a lot of mistakes. Well, I'm saying, yes, stand up and be counted, but be careful how much you're pointing your finger and how much that you're complaining if you're not on your knees praying for them. The Bible says if you want to live peaceably, if you want godliness and honesty to be a part of it, then you need to be praying for them, he says. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I don't understand a lot of people's thinking. Folks, I I don't know how that is possible to believe in the grace of God any more than I do. But I also cannot understand for the life of me how anyone can read all the scriptures and forget about men's ideas. I don't understand how it all comes together. How can you read God's word and you know that salvation is all of God? It's all of God's grace. It's nothing of man and nobody will come unless he draws you. Nobody can come without that truth that you're holding in your hands there right now for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's all of God and yet how can you read that same Bible and say that God himself wants anyone in hell that God has said this person's going to heaven and this one's going to hell I don't understand everything about it, but I know God's got it right. And I know that the Bible tells me in numbers of places and many different ways. I mean, I don't really think that that's too hard to understand. Well, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. I'm just saying, folks. Believe me, God will, without any shadow of a doubt, he'll get his part right, Brother Steve. He's the one that's done everything, everything. I've told you before, I love that word that's, some Bibles have taken it out of it now because it's not used a lot in the English language anymore. I love that word, propitiation. <laughs> Jesus Christ, He was a propitiation for my sins. But, wow, John said, not for mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. God alone. He was sufficient. The sacrifice was sufficient. He wants all men everywhere to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Jesus Christ tasted death for all men. And yet, without God, his word, the power of the Holy Spirit. You can talk to somebody till you're blue in the face. You can describe to somebody how sweet and beautiful heaven is and all the things they can look forward to. <laughs> and they might even like to go to a place like that. I don't care how much they like to go, then how good a job you do, they'll never get there just because you've been able to describe it to them so wonderfully. You can describe to somebody the torments of a place like hell he can describe to them how awful that that place is. They may want to do anything that's necessary to get away from it. But folks, all the wanting to get away from it, the world won't do it. There's only one thing that'll do it. It's to recognize their sin. And only the Holy Spirit can overcome our defiled flesh. That flesh that cannot possibly of itself do anything good to help itself, to save itself, unless God the Holy Spirit comes in. He's the one that will take that word. He's the one. But you have the responsibility. Paul asked the Romans, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? Unless somebody gives them that truth, that's where you find that same verse. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How will they ever know? Folks, I honestly believe this. I believe that if you really expected the Lord Jesus Christ to come back tomorrow, I believe there's people that you know, people that are on their way to hell, people that are not saved, people that will be lost for eternity. If you really expected that trumpet to sound, let's let's give ourselves some time. Say tomorrow, not today. You really expected that. I think you'd probably be doing something about those people this evening. Tonight. I don't care what time it is when we get away from here. If you really expected Jesus to come tomorrow, you'd be doing something tonight. I'm saying it'll affect the way we live. And there's so many things we can say here, but I, I just want to remind you, Jesus gave us this illustration. Jesus said, look around at the signs and you'll know it's close. He said, no man knows the time, the hour, but you ought to be able to look at the signs and know that it's near. It's near. Watch. Watch, he says. Watch and pray. Watch. Why? Because you don't know what hour that he's coming. Doesn't matter what watch you're on, expect him at any time. Don't let him catch you sleeping. You need to be watching persistently all the time, you need to be watching perceptively. All these different passages we've looked at, I know briefly, but it has to do with the way we live. If we're really expecting Him, it's going to affect it prayerfully. I just want to encourage you because, you see, right here in this congregation tonight, as I look around, you know, I don't believe that it's even possible for you or me to imagine what God could do in your life and in this church. If we'd really let this word get our attention for what it really means, if we really did live our lives watching in that way, I don't think you can even imagine what God could do with you, with this church right here, if that really found the resting place in our hearts and it wasn't just something that we knew about, but it was something that got our attention as it should because of the importance of what it's telling us. Watch, because you don't know when he's coming. We need to be watching right now, and it needs to be affecting our lives right now. Father, Lord, I know I've skipped around and skipped over because these were thoughts and ideas that you placed in our hearts sometime back, Lord, as we've looked here this evening, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you would take this simple message and use it in some way to speak to our hearts, because, Lord, if you do, Terry, we could be sitting here, and it could be January 2012, and our lives could really have accomplished nothing for you. We may accomplish all kinds of things in this world, positioned it, power and possessions and all those things. Father, I pray that you would help us to expect you tomorrow. I pray that you would help us to watch with that kind of expectancy and therefore as a result of that, it would change our lives, it would change the way that we live, that it would change the way that we think, that it would change what others see in us. That you might do something with our lives, that you might accomplish what you want to accomplish. Lord, I pray. I pray that some way, somehow, you would help us when we can't help ourselves. Help us to get serious about this thing, help our lives to mean something. Lord, let us and this church make a difference in our community, in our city and even around the world through our missions programs. Help us, Lord. Help us that our priorities might be what they ought to be. Help us to watch and pray. For course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.